So can you understand this? Mera, oh man. <laughs> Mera pasand ka rang hai sabaz. Hudson, help. No, I have no idea what you just said. Okay. Well, Hudson, help. Oh, oh, hold on. Take it easy. Oh, you just said, yeah. Bean uh, is a favorite color. So today we're going to get to know a little bit about Myra. She's our guest today. And she's also joining with Hassan from our previous episode. So Myra, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? How old are you? Okay, um, hi guys. So I'm 21. Um, I was born and raised in the States. Uh, I've been here my whole life. Fun fact, I've never actually been to Pakistan. Oh. Though my parents are um, Pakistani. Hmm. And I'm currently in uni and I'm studying neuroscience. Okay. Have you ever wanted to go to Pakistan? I have, yeah. But um, because of school, the only time I would get is essentially from like May to August. And that never worked out. So I guess maybe after I'm done school, I would want. But yeah, for sure, I would want to go once. Mm -hmm. Have you learned any Urdu from your parents or do your parents talk in Urdu? Oh, okay. So I can understand a bit. Someone is speaking to me in Urdu, but um, I can't speak it. At home, we mostly talk in English because my mom has spent most of her life abroad. Mm -hmm. So I just learned how to say, um, how are you? Mm -hmm. How is that said? Can you say it? Can I see how? Okay. Yeah. But then I asked the person and the person was a guy and they're like, that's only for a girl. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can I say who would be for a guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then I was like, hey. Kesi Ho, and he's like, yeah. that's only for a guy, not a girl. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's only for a girl, not a guy. Yeah, English is a really lucky language, I think. It doesn't have that gender separation, I guess, for objects. Even French has it, uh, Spanish has it. Yep, and not only that, a lot of times, you can use so many words, like so many different words for one thing. So yeah. like, really confused when... Yeah, it's a really tricky language, but uh, it's fun. It's a good language. Agreed. Yeah, my wife doesn't speak Urdu either. She can understand it just like you. Mm -hmm. She does have the accent just like you as well. She, you know, whenever she tries to speak in Urdu or sing a song, yeah. she, she's embarrassed because she pronounces the words with an English accent. Yeah, actually, I get called a coconut a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. think it's a compliment, but... Hold on. What does coconut have to do with the language? Because, like... I'm brown on the outside, white on the inside. So, no, no, no. We have a we have a different word for such people. You guys know I'm from burger. Brown, so. uh, no, no, no. Oh my god, burger. Burger is a different okay. term. So, over the last you could say eight to nine mm -hmm. years, so a lot of mixed up people ended up in Dubai. So, so I mm -hmm. once met a guy. He's half Lebanese, half Russian, and half Nigerian. So stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and, so we Pakis, we just have a one word for them. We call them gate, as in mix. So yeah. oh, never heard of that before. Yeah, gate. Yeah, I think it's a Punjabi huh. word. I'm not sure. Gate, but yeah, that's okay. what they used to refer. Oh, he gata. It's like boy, this guy's half mix. So mm -hmm. something. It's even used for half Pakis who don't speak. You know. Yeah. Like, oh, my mom's Paki, but my dad is British or Moroccan, so stuff like that. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, Another one is ABCD in the U.S. Have you ever been called that, Myra? No, I haven't. Yeah, Kata, I've never heard of. That's, a, that's yeah, interesting. Same. I'll have to keep that in mind. Either. Yeah, because you are in the West. And yeah. Things are different. Yeah, right, right. I've been called Burger 
by Pakistani people. They know who they are. <laughs> right. But that's interesting because burger isn't used much here in in the states. I've never been called a burger. Oh no, um, I've been called a burger on the server a lot, actually. Oh, okay, yeah, on the yeah, server yeah. it makes sense because it's mixed. yeah, yeah, like yeah. everyone. What language do you think in? Is it in English? Both. That's the hard part. People will say that all the time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, people are like, "Do you count in English or Urdu?" And I'm like, "Both." It just depends on what I guess mindset I'm in. It's mm-hmm. weird. But yeah, sometimes I'll be like working out or something, and I'm I'm counting the reps in my mind, and I'm doing it in Urdu or Punjabi, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other times I'm just counting in English, especially at work. So I guess it just has to do with the setting. That's actually really cool. Yeah, it's strange. Well, bilingual people are supposed to be extremely smart. So bilingual, I speak four languages. Am I supposed to be smart? Okay, well, yeah, what's the word for after? Yeah, yeah. There you <laughs> go. Speak. Oh, wait, think... let, let me count. How many languages I speak? I speak Arabic. Okay. Mm-hmm. I speak Urdu. I speak Saraiki. I speak a bit of Sindhi. I speak English. How many languages are those? Five. I guess you're a special case. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so Myra, let me ask you a random question, just out of, of the course. So if you could only play one game for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Monopoly. Monopoly? Huh. Uh, because I always win. For some reason, I always win. So are you talking about like a computer game? I guess that's what I had in mind, but I didn't think I, I, I don't play computer games at all. Um, the only game I could think of was Tekken. Mm-hmm. Tekken? Tekken, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Because I used, I used to play that with my uncle as a kid, mm-hmm. and it was fun. Okay, so you're not so into video gaming in general? Um, maybe I'm not cool enough yet. Oh man, Hudson's, Hudson's probably like... Shaking right now, like what? Yeah. <laughs> I <know>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just discovered the internet this year, so mm-hmm. hopefully what? as I We're living in, in, dive... The... Yeah, okay, under I was too. living under a rock, but I will mm-hmm. just... As I dive more into the internet, hopefully I'll learn how to game. Huh. But how is that possible? You, you grew up in New York, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. You just didn't get interested in the internet? No, I, I really didn't. Um, mm-hmm. I was never interested in social media or... Huh. I didn't know you could like, talk to people on the internet. Like, I know it sounds <laughs> wow. like such an absurd idea to people She's that 21. haven't lived that way. But <laughs> I have, so for me... Um, it's a totally new concept and a totally new world. Wow. So uh, how how gaming, did you, yeah, I'm curious now, how did you discover Discord? So I had a friend who used to go on a website and they closed down. So they opened a server up mm. and that server was really trash. So I, I left it after a while, but that's when I found out what Discord was. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, one of my friends who's a gamer, I was just talking to her about it and she told me, you know, you can search for like other places. So I was like, okay, I'm not really well connected with my roots. So I literally just Googled Pakistan Discord and you uh, and the server came up. So mm-hmm. I joined. And that was that. And that was back in May. Huh. Yeah. So yeah. March 2018 okay. was my first visit to the internet. And May is when I actually started talking. That's incredible. And now you're on a podcast. You're really <laughs> going places. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, so this topic today, we're planning to discuss depression, especially depression within Pakistan as a country, but also around Pakistani communities and families, not just Pakistanis, I guess it's a whole South Asian mindset. So we just mm-hmm. want to understand why is the 
rate of depression so high, specifically within Pakistan, compared to the rest of the world. And when I say that, I'm quoting this fact that's stated by the Pakistan Medical Association, the PMA, saying that the global average of depression is 20%, whereas the Pakistani average is 34%. And that's an estimate, so that doesn't mean that 34% are uh, clinically diagnosed with depression. These are just people who have depression and they're walking around in the country without being diagnosed and they're just coping with it without help, right? Uh, that's an estimate shared by the PMA in 2017, which is last year as of today. So they shared some more stats like 35.7% of citizens in Karachi alone are affected by some type of mental illness, right? For other cities, it's 43% for Quetta and 53.4% for Lahore, which is uh, where I was born. If it's true, that's significantly higher than the global average. So I think what we really want to discuss today is, number one, why is it so high in Pakistan? And number two, the issue that it's not taken seriously by Pakistani parents, families, the community as a whole. And why is that? So... Do I define it first or no? Or you think? Depression? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's a good idea. So, yeah, help us define depression. Okay, sure. So, depression can basically be defined as a mental illness that basically negatively impacts how you feel or the way that you think and especially the way that you act. Mm -hmm. So, biologically, it has to do with how your brain communicates. So, the neurons in your brain, when they're communicating, they aren't basically communicating enough. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Myra, could you answer this? What's the difference between being sad and being clinically depressed? So the thing with depression is, right, that feeling is a normal human emotion. The only time it becomes a clinical problem or an illness is if it's hindering your day-to-day -day life or your day-to-day -day function. So for example, if there's a death in your family, right, you're going to be depressed. That's, that's, that's your body's natural reaction to an event that happens. But let's say everything in your life is going good, right? You just got a promotion, um, you just bought a new house, or you're just in a state where you should be content, yet mm -hmm. you don't feel that way. That sadness comes from depression. Hmm. So in a way, if you think about it, it's, it's not like when you should be happy or sad. It's, it's more that it's not in your control anymore. Mm -hmm. So your body's reacting to an event that didn't happen. So, for example, if you can't get out of bed in the morning, even though everything was fine, you, you slept on time, nothing bad happened in your day, everything was normal, except your body is reacting a certain way. So is it possible to be depressed and not know it? For sure. You can have physical symptoms of depression, right? So um, there can be a loss in appetite. You can have trouble sleeping. There can be mm. uh, increased fatigue. You'll notice a change in yourself, basically. Mm -hmm. But you might not link that to depression, hmm. right? Like, for example, you might be wondering, why do I sleep so much? Even though you're not tired, your body is. So it's hard to pinpoint when there's no event that caused it. So like I said, for example, if there's a death in the family or you just lost your job, right? Um, right. Those things make you more disposition to be depressed, but it could still be clinical. That just means that that makes you more prone to it. But at times that you don't realize you're depressed, it could be that, again, your body's reacting and you don't know what it's reacting to. So there's no cause or there's no immediate trigger. But there's almost always symptoms that if you go to a psychiatrist or any kind of physician, they should be able to diagnose. 
Right. I think there's two things that come to my mind when I think about this. One is I have a relative in the family who we're pretty sure is depressed because without reason, they, they seem to just have a pessimistic outlook on life, just feel tired all the time, fatigue. A lot of these mm-hmm. things that you mentioned, right? Are difficult to get out of bed. Right. We think she's depressed, but she doesn't want to admit it. And so the mindset I hear quite often in our community, our families in general is, if you're depressed, just feel better. In Punjabi, it's just like, oh, you know, just feel happy. You'll be fine. Right. It's like, oh, it'll go away on I've heard that so much. Yeah, that's one. And then the second is, I, I don't have depression. I have anxiety, uh, which pops up every now and then. So every now and then I'll have an anxiety attack. I might just get anxious for no reason at all. I've had like anxiety attacks just driving and I drive all the time and I have right. no issues with it. Look, or anxiety taking a shower. Like, why would you be scared in the shower? It just happens out of the blue. Now, 95% of the time when I'm taking a shower, it doesn't happen. 5%, it just happens out of the blue. And so people find it really difficult to understand. How can it just happen, right? What are you afraid of? Just snap out of it. Actually, you know what the interesting thing is? Um, mm-hmm. So anxiety attacks are different than panic attacks. Mm. Yeah, what's the difference? The major difference really is the way that you feel could be the same. Anxiety attacks are a reaction to a trigger. So something will trigger it. A panic attack doesn't always have to be triggered. It's, they're very unpredictable. So for example, if you're someone who has anxiety, right? Oh. And you're put in a position where it's going to make your anxiety worse, that would be called an anxiety attack. But with a panic attack, it's more unpredictable. That makes sense. So basically what I just described, those are probably panic attacks and not anxiety attacks, right? They could be. Panic attacks yeah. are more intense too. Yeah, because they're hard to explain. They just kind of, they can't they are, kind of happen exactly. out of the blue. Interesting. They're hard to put a trigger. Because I've had a few, and um, it's called the association method. And what you do is because you're, you're trying to get your brain to calm down at that time and your mind to relax. So wherever you are, you just look at anything in the room mm-hmm. and you talk to yourself about it. For example, um, so let's say I'm having a panic attack right now, and you can even do it out loud. Like there's a black chair in front of me. There is a there's a towel on it that a uh, white, gray, and black. And you just keep talking to yourself. And as you do that, you'll realize your brain gets confused because you're using all your senses. So you slowly calm down. Huh. It's really it's really interesting, and it really works. Wow, that's called the association. What? It's called the association method, but association method. Okay. I'm not sure, but it yeah. it actually really works. All right. So I think we did a pretty good job of defining depression and mental illness in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the next thing would just be, why is it not taken so seriously in the Pakistan community? Or Hassan, maybe you have a story to share, just like just to help us understand why well, our community doesn't take it so seriously. Okay, The reason why people don't take it seriously is probably because of a lack of education. People don't actually know what the hell depression means. So they, most of the time, they neglect it. And it was just like two days ago, a Pakistani model, she was six years old, she committed suicide. And it was all over the social media, like, oh, she had all the wealth, she was beautiful, and, and yet, you know, mental health and stuff. It's, it's not a joke. If someone says they're mentally stressed out or depressed, it's not a joke, first of all. A lot of people I've come across, you tell them, okay, you're not feeling good. 
they'll be like, oh, just do this, do that. So, no, you know, the, the life hacks thing. You're like, oh, do that, do this. You're going to be okay. But actually, it's, it's much more complicated than this. Just, I think it was 2016 or 17. I can't really remember the date. But there was a, a really top class student, like he, he topped his school and, and the reason why he committed suicide was really unknown. He was just doing good in his university. He had a good family. People started to look into this case and figured out that this guy was so stressed because he, he could not get a job. And there was so much peer pressure from the family and everyone around him that he just couldn't take it anymore. So there, there's there's something pocket parents need to really do is just take a step back when raising your kids, it's really important, especially if you're like in middle school or high school, it's really important that uh, they pay attention to their kids or just telling them, no, you're going to do this. I don't care. And, and stuff like that. That that's pretty bad for the child in general. If you're having a kid who's already suffering through mental illness or a lot of stress at a really young age, then you never know what's going to happen next. And most of the time, the, the stigma or what you, the, the typical people are going to be like, oh, probably his girlfriend ran away. Oh, he's probably going through a breakup. Oh, you, you lost a loved one. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, God, uh, may, may Allah have mercy on his soul. And they're like, my mom's elder sister, she still can't cope with it. She's still under serious depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to, I, I speak to her often. I'm like, okay, you need to see a doctor. You need some medicine. And every time, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm just, I just miss them so much. So right. Pakistani media have been doing a good job uh, highlighting this issue. So, if you guys want to check it out, there's a movie called Home uh, Man Ho Jahan. I would really recommend watch it out. So it's about oh, Home Jahan. Yeah, I would yeah. really recommend it as a young person to understand what depression could do to you. It's it's a good watch. Or, or we need to step up. Everyone needs right. to know what the consequences of depression is. You never know. You could lose your loved ones, your best friend. It could be anyone. And, and I, I think it takes a lot of courage uh, to talk about it, which mm-hmm. I don't know. They see parents just uh, just ignore it. I'm like mom, I'm not feeling, oh, yeah, just take a day off. Uh, yeah, you, here, take some money, go some, go eat some ice cream. That's not going to help, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, the, the first thing you mentioned about parents, that's very important because around that oh, yeah. age, around like high teens, 16, 17, is I think when parents start getting confused on how to deal with their kids, right? Certain parents will get right. too involved in their kids' lives and they'll try to control everything and get that control back that they used to have. And then other parents, they just completely abandon their kids and just leave them to handle things on their own, thinking they're grown up enough, right? And I think in both cases, it's a lack of uh, attention as well as negligence that just... It's also a lack of communication. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to ask. Mm-hmm. I think you that's the word I was going for, yeah. Overall, <laughs> just lack of communication. Thanks. Right. It's also really interesting how Hassan kept mentioning suicide because mm-hmm. that's basically the worst case scenario if your depression isn't treated, which is why it's so important to get help. Yeah. And, and it's interesting you mentioned that even, I mean, it's definitely a problem back home in Pakistan, but it mm-hmm. is also just a general problem for, uh, I guess, people of Pakistani descent, like you or me who are not living right. there anymore. Uh, but 
I guess we all seem to know at least one person who lived and they grew up maybe possibly right here in this country or are and they're very in, in the developed world. Yeah, and they're very educated and yet right. still hold that mindset that it's not something to be taken seriously. And so what I've seen is like two major things I would say is how mental illness as a whole is misunderstood among our community, especially. Number one is just joking around when uh, mental health is brought up. So I'll give an example. Um, my grandma mm -hmm. had dementia, right? So she would forget a lot of stuff. My dad mm -hmm. is in that stage right now too. He's starting to forget a little bit. And it's often just a, a matter of joking around. Like if he forgets something, um, he, he forgot oh. his remote somewhere or he forgot his medicine and he just laugh around and just like, oh, mm -hmm. we just told you this. Uh, we just told you that we're going this place and he'll be like, no, you guys never told me. And then we might respond, well, we just told you five minutes ago and then we laugh about it. And then, you know, I think to myself, is, is that really something we should joke around or is it just something that we should actually uh, pay close attention to and realize that my grandma or my dad mm -hmm. possibly they need to get checked up? That's one thing. And then the second is just false attribution, considering mental illness, not mental illness. So I'll give a very popular example. <laughs> one one mm -hmm. popular misconception is, you might have heard this, if somebody's mentally ill, uh, either they have schizophrenia or psychosis, those are very common uh, mental illness. <laughs> oh, you have, you have a gin yeah. on you, so you have a gin kasaya. Because that's Yeah, that's very common in Pakistan. Okay. So they take oh, yeah. these, uh, the patients to, you know, babajis or some elder of the village and he's gonna come treat perform exorcism on you and uh, cure you of mental illness and then of course they take a hefty bonus on the way out oh yeah and that's that's absolutely the worst thing you can do but that also has to do with the history of mental illness right because there's a lot of dark mm -hmm. very scary oh yeah the western world has its fair share of that right i mean the witch hunts over here that, that's no small example I mean, um, you've heard of the Bethlehem uh, Royal Hospital, right? I'm pretty sure it was in... Richmond. I think so, yeah. Right. That was basically, I think, I think it was one of the first um, psychiatric facilities. And they would mm -hmm. put people with things like dyslexia in there. And mm -hmm. they, had this, they had this thing that was called public viewings, where the rich classes would pay to do things to the patients. And when I say things, I mean really dark things, like um, mm. making them eat certain things that they shouldn't be eating, hitting them, watching them like animals. So it was kind of like a zoo. And mm. this was in the 1300s, I believe. So we have a long, long history. And it sucks to say this, but um, we're always a bit behind when it comes to things in the South Asian community. If mental health has such a big stigma in the Western world, I can only imagine how big mm. that stigma is in mm -hmm. within the south asian community mm -hmm. i think i got a flashback from history class back in college where we were learning about the dark ages in europe and yep. one of the things that really stuck to me is what my professor had said the dark during the dark ages actually europe was behind asia and africa like there, it was they were just less civilized lots of things were misunderstood uh, things were mm. unstructured and europe was overall just behind and very poor uh, poverty, what's it called? The Black Death disease. That was a very common. The plague. The plague, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, they were called the Dark Ages. plague, yeah, they were called the Dark Ages yeah. for a reason. Somewhere along the road, the Enlightenment happened. And, you know, I don't want to get into a history class, but something mm -hmm. happened. But actually, and now we just tend to lag behind, kind of like what you mentioned. We're always lagging in understanding, in knowledge, or, or so it seems. You know why the Dark Ages were called 
the dark ages uh, because there was no discovery then. It, um, religion prevailed during that time, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about it, that's what's happening in the South Asian community, how you just mentioned like, um, how it's like you're possessed by a ghost. Those are mm-hmm. all superstitious beliefs. Every other cousin I have in Pakistan is in some way has some kind of saya spirit after him or something. You know, there's every other cousin has some kind of thing going on and it's always attributed to uh, a story like that. Whereas in the US, we don't really hear those that often. So is it really happening at that high of a rate? So be, okay. Uh, As far as my first year of experience of going back home every two or three years, yeah, there are legit cases of black magic and stuff, but people seem to over exaggerate it. And, you know, these people who claim to, you know, oh, I'm going to purify your soul, oh, you're possessed by a jinn, just turn on some Pakistani media channel. And half of the time, okay, I'm not going to say they're people who are actually legit, but most of the time it's actually fake just to make money. And there's no understanding of your religion, of your faith, that you just believe them instead of following what you're supposed to do. And mm-hmm. in the same case, especially when, yeah, there was a stage I was falling into depression as well. It was like somewhere around year two of my university. So uh, we had a massive financial downfall. We were talking big numbers. Just couldn't focus my head into university. I was not getting any sleep. I mean, it was just really bad, and I didn't reach out to my family, so I spoke to an old friend, a buddy, um, suffering from, you know, uh, stress, I think. I don't, I don't want to do anything stupid or anything, so he just told me to become a bit more spiritual, more like a religious person, and I, I still remember it. I, uh, I'm not even kidding. It's been more than five years or something. I remember this in the back of my head. I don't even have to remember it or anything. So he told me this verse from the Quran, which goes like, uh, Allah says in the Quran that, remember me and I will remember you. I, mm. I think, trust me, I'm not even joking. I just kept my faith in that verse and I started praying five times a day, starting to, and it, it did, yes, it does help. It's a very good solution, especially for Pakistanis who are actually Muslims. But mm-hmm. you know why that helped you, right? Because you were thinking positively. Yeah. So, yeah, right. Like, exactly. Maybe it has something mental mm-hmm. or something. But it, it definitely helped me a lot. And sometimes there are some days where I'm, I'm just washed out, tired and everything. I just just think about the worst and just go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are a lot of things to look into is... To make sure you get proper sleep and make sure you eat well. Because in uni, I think a lot of times stress and depression is way common. As far as I, I see it in, in the in this part of the world, especially in the Middle East. So if you if you sleep well and if you eat well and yeah, I mean those are the two major problems among youth. So that, yeah, that's my two advices. And yeah, if you're if you're feeling low, uh, talk to a friend. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Uh, I actually do want to get into the advice. This is great advice. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe, Mara, you can also share your bit. So I personally think um, treating depression, so if they do prescribe you the antidepressant, um, like the SSRI, uh, for example, like Prozac is a really common one. 
if they prescribe that takes care of the biology of your depression right so therefore if you're clinically depressed that should help you but there's also other factors into play that oftentimes would require therapy they would require a life change so how um Hassan mentioned with school right like with university mm-hmm. that's really like kind of i feel like our first meeting with real stress right mm-hmm. because um now the stakes are much higher so oftentimes when you're treating depression it comes with life changes and therapy not just a drug so in the states we do prescribe drugs way too fast so it's kind of like a easy fix right like an easy solution but if you don't take away the other things right if you don't change how you think if you don't change the trigger that is causing your depression that will take away the biology but as soon as you stop the antidepressant it'll come back so i feel like it's also a lifestyle change that has to come with it yeah i feel like in the state we have to be much more careful on not relying on just drugs yeah because there's some people who have been taking these for 10 years 20 years and they just are afraid to come off of it because first of all the withdrawal is apparently really bad and secondly mm-hmm. they just say it just comes right back right but it's also um a psychiatrist right their mm-hmm. job is to strictly uh, like it's not strictly to give you medication but they're able to prescribe medication and because they're doctors they're more inclined towards fixing the problem mm-hmm. scientifically so not they give less therapy it's actually psychologists that do counseling or therapy and such so you kind of have to find your fit i don't know if you, if you guys know low vitamin d can also increase your chances of having depression so some people will just take a vitamin d supplement every day cuz mm-hmm. we don't get enough of that naturally right mm-hmm. and they'll feel better and that would probably make sense because we just overall we don't get enough sun nowadays exactly and vitamin d is directly linked to your brain function so again mm-hmm. this all has to do if i wasn't studying this i probably wouldn't know it either so all of it this has to do with learning more about mental health so even yeah. in the states when we need to learn more about it so before you go get prescribed an antidepressant you could do a blood test and see what your vitamin d levels are or just how you're doing in general wow well, yeah cuz i know a friend who used to get really tired and she started taking vitamin d supplements and it's not that it made her depression totally better but it definitely gave her energy which got her feeling better that's amazing exactly so that's why mental health is also not taken seriously it's it's hard to treat because it's very case to case i wish we would treat it like a physical illness in the sense where we wouldn't put the stigma around it but then to treat it it's more complicated I guess the final thing I would say personally um yeah as human beings um it's in our nature to be really hard on ourselves than we are on other people so oftentimes I feel like we question our condition way more than someone else would so I feel like it's okay to acknowledge that there's a problem and that it doesn't make you any less than what you are and getting help like we all get help along the way right even mm-hmm. even if we're sick great right? like even if i have a flu um i'll need help i'll need some kind of help so mental health is the exact same way
So mm. getting help and acknowledging you have a problem doesn't make you any less yourself. Because I feel like we're harder on ourselves than anyone else is on us. It would be easier for me to acknowledge someone else's depression than it would be to acknowledge my own. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a popular saying that the first step to solving a problem is just recognizing that there is one. Mm-hmm. So that's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So Hassan, any last uh, comment? Yeah, um, just a small advice to the people who are already married or having kids is take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Be serious if your kid comes to you. or or your or any of your family members comes and tell you there's something depression please it's not a joke please help them perfect hasan thank you very much yeah pleasure always all right thank you mara thanks so much for joining yeah no it was my pleasure it was nice talking to the infamous friend finally yeah <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs>